listening to audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit twinvillageschurch.org. So today I'm going to take you to Matthew. I'm going to take you to Matthew uh, chapter 21. And uh, I asked Pastor Phil if it should be a Christmas message, and he said no. So uh, this is not going to be a Christmas message because it's not Christmas yet. But uh, I, I hope and I pray that it's going to be beneficial for you. Uh, you know, if you are visiting, uh, if, you are, if you are seeking for answers, or uh, if you are a believer, if you love Christ, I, I think this, this message will benefit everybody. So uh, why don't we turn together uh, to Matthew 21. And uh, I'm going to read verses 23 through 27. Uh, the, the theme or the topic or, or the name for, for today's message is the question of authority. And uh, I hope and pray it's going to be beneficial. So uh, back in the check, we stand up as we read God's Word. Uh, so I would like to, to ask you if you can stand up with me if we are going to read from uh, God's Word and hear His living Word this morning. When Jesus entered the temple... The chief priests and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John was from what source? From heaven or from man? And they began reasoning among themselves, saying, If he say from heaven, he will say to us, Then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the people, for they all regard John as prophet. And answering Jesus, they said, we do not know. He also said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come to your word this morning. And God, I pray that uh, you will bless your church um, as we have the opportunity to go through this passage. And God, I pray that you would work in our hearts uh, as we each need with your Holy Spirit and with your word. I pray in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay, you may be seated. So uh, here's a little bit of a context. Uh, chapter 21 opens the last week before Jesus' crucifixion, um, the reason of his coming, right? Like Jesus was born um, in, in a season of Christmas, or at least we celebrated in a, in a Christmas time, and, and he was born, he came to this earth to die. He came so, uh, so, so we can be rescued from our sins. He came uh, and, and added uh, humanity to his divinity. And, uh, and he came to redeem God's select people from their sins. And uh, Matthew, in his gospel, he dedicated the first two chapters to Jesus' birth and, uh, and Jesus fleeing to Egypt. And then if you would look at the next 19 chapters, you would see that uh, Matthew spent 19 chapters uh, describing the three years of Jesus' ministry. And now... Uh, at least in our church, as we uh, entered the, the, the chapter 21, uh, you will see that uh, Matthew will spend seven chapters, beginning in chapter 21, uh, in, in Jesus' last week before his crucifixion. And uh, the encounter that we have in front of us, verses 23 through 27, uh, took place on Wednesday. So we crucified on a Friday, and, and these verses take place on Wednesday. And in this last week, uh, on Monday... Jesus rode to Jerusalem, and uh, you might remember that he rode to Jerusalem on what kind of an animal? 
he rode on a, on a donkey, right? And uh, as he rode uh, on a donkey to Jerusalem, uh, people were singing Hosanna, Hosanna uh, to, to the son of David. And, and initially they inaugurated him as a king. They, they recognized him as a king. And, uh, and even though they didn't give him a crown, uh, he was inaugurated as a king. And the reason why he came on a donkey uh, was to show that he did not come to conquer Rome, uh, which occupied their land, but that he came to deal with sin, which was occupying their hearts, right? Jesus, in, in the first time that he came, he did not come uh, with a political change. He did not come um, to take their land back. He came to take their hearts back. And the first thing that he did as a king, uh, after he entered Jerusalem, uh, was on Tuesday, and uh, you might remember that he cleansed the temple, right? He, he entered the temple, and the first thing as he, which he did as, as, the, as the inaugurated king is that he cleansed the temple. And even in this thing, he showed that his biggest concern was not a political concern, but a superficial, empty religion, right? Like he, he saw the religion. He, he saw that the religion looks good on the outside, and they have the right words, and they say the right things, and they maybe even sing the right songs, but, but he saw that their hearts are far away from, from him, uh, far away from God. And, and that's, that's, what, that's what Jesus said in Matthew 15, 8, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. And, and that's what he saw as he entered the temple on Tuesday. And, and he saw all different kinds of uh, um, uh, wrong things that were happening there. Uh, people making money on God. People men making money on, on other people who came to worship God. And Jesus cleansed the temple. And the, and the cleansing of the temple was his judgment on their empty religion. And if you would read Matthew, if you would read Mark, you would also see that uh, as Jesus was approaching the temple... Uh, there was a fig tree on the way. You remember what he did with a fig tree, right? He saw the leaves on a fig tree, and he thought that since the fig tree has the leaves, there, there are going to be figs on it. And since he was hungry, he approached the fig tree, but he did not find any figs on the fig tree. And he cursed the tree, and the tree immediately died. And, and his disciples were, uh, were, were surprised. They were astonished. They were like, my goodness, like, this is supernatural. Like, he, he spoke to the fig tree, he cursed it, and it immediately died so uh, what Jesus did there as a newly inaugurated king is that uh, he basically cursed their religion in cleansing the temple, showing them that even though they say and do the right things, uh, their heart is not in it. And when he cursed the fig tree, he really cursed the nation of Israel. That's, uh, that's the message that he sent, right? And uh, if, you have a, if you have a new president next year, He's going to enter the Oval Office for the first time, or maybe for a second time, if, if it's going to be somebody who's re-elected. Uh, and it's going to be very important what he does as the first thing and as the second thing and as the third thing. Why? Because it's going to send a loud and clear message to everybody. This is what I'm all about, right? And the message can be anything. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Now it's Wednesday. So Jesus enters the Jerusalem on Monday. Uh, he enters the temple on Tuesday. He cleans up the temple. Uh, he, he curses the fig tree. And our text brings us uh, to Wednesday. And now Jesus is back. And he's back in Jerusalem. He's back in the temple. And he's back in the very epicenter of their religion. And the very interesting thing in verse 23 is that Jesus is not hiding. And Jesus is not silent. And if you look at verse 23, we read, 
When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching. And this is very important because uh, Jesus was there just the other day. He, he cleansed the temple and now he's back and he's teaching. And the, 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 the first thing that comes at least to my mind is, you know, what was he teaching them about? And, and I, I think the answer must be that Jesus was simply teaching them uh, the same things that he was teaching the people for last three years, right? So, so uh, he was teaching them surely about the kingdom of God. He was surely teaching them about their sins and about the coming judgment because there was this message straight from the beginning when, when, when he was telling people straight from the beginning, repent, repent uh, because the kingdom of God is, is coming. You need, to, you need to settle your accounts with God. You need to, you need to repent. You need to ask for forgiveness and, and you need to trust God for your salvation. And surely he was telling the people as he's teaching in the temple that he is the light of the world, that he is the bread of life, that he is the door and that he is the only way and that no one enters the kingdom of heaven except through him. So I think that must have been his message even on Wednesday. Luke 19, 48 tells us what was the reaction of the people. And it's really neat to see in Luke 19.48 that all the people were hanging on to every word he said. And if you are a teacher, you appreciate it, right? Like if, you, if you've ever taught a, a Sunday school or if you are teaching in a school, you just laugh when the students are getting what you are telling them and they are just like hanging on your every word and, and they cannot like get enough and, uh, and, and they are looking forward for you to come next day or, or next hour or next week because they want to hear more. And that's exactly what's happening with the people. That the temple is filled again. There are hundreds, maybe thousands of people uh, who, who are coming to worship. Uh, Jesus is back after he, he sent all the bad guys away on, on Tuesday. And, and he's teaching. He's teaching openly and publicly. And the people are loving it. And the people are listening to him. And the, and the people cannot get enough of his teaching. And it, it's a really spectacular moment. Uh, yesterday... Jesus stopped their religious business, right? And, and you need to understand that the religious leaders, they, they didn't know God, they didn't love God, and they basically turned the Jewish religion into a huge money-making scheme. And they were making a gazillions of money on the people who were coming to worship God. So what were you bringing to the temple if you came to worship God? Anybody remembers? You would be, rem you, you would be bringing... All different kinds of animals, right? If you are rich, you will bring a lamp. If you are poor, you will bring dove. Whatever's the problem, right? If you bring your own, if you bring your own animal, we are not going to make money on you. So we are going to say, hey, your animal is not good enough, but don't worry, we have a solution. We have the right guy with the right animal you can buy here. You're welcome. You don't even have to go to Amazon. It's right here. It's, it, you, don't need a, you don't need a prime. It's right here, right now. But then there would be a second problem. Oh, you just brought your own money. Well, you know what? Your money don't work here. Sorry about that. But don't worry. We have a guy who exchanges your money for the temple money, and we are glad to, to provide it for you. So they would be ripping people uh, as they were exchanging the money because the exchange rates were, were, were crazy. And then when you exchange your money to go buy the temple animal, they would rip you again because the animals sometimes were even 10 times more expensive than what you, would play, what you would pay outside of Jerusalem in a normal, normal place. So uh, the time that Jesus enters Jerusalem, the time that Jesus enters the temple, 
is the biggest holiday, is the biggest, biggest season for the Jews. Uh, Friday, what was Friday all about? Black Friday, right? Uh, a lot of your businesses, Walmart and Amazon and Target, they made a lot of money. It's like the biggest day of the year, as far as I know, to make a profit, right? And, uh, you know, if you, would have, if you would have somebody who comes on a Black Friday and unplugs all the Amazon servers, that, that would be like a huge thing for Amazon, right? They would lose all their business for the day, and that's exactly what Jesus did uh, on that Tuesday when he emptied the temple. He came in the biggest season, he came during the biggest holiday, and, and he completely ruined their business in a day when they were supposed to get the most money. And you can just, you can just uh, imagine, as he publicly confronted the leaders, how much they have to hate him, right? Like how much their blood had to be boiling when Jesus is publicly confronting them of their empty religion while simultaneously canceling their profits and showing everybody around, to all the people that are around, that they are just scammers and that even though they preach God, they do not know God. And Jesus is back the next morning and he's teaching multitudes who brought their sacrifices. And once again, he's exposing their empty religion. Once again, he has people, uh, he, he has the, the attention of the people. And uh, that's a serious problem, not for Jesus and not for the people, but for the religious leaders. So they come and they decided to confront him. And uh, that's where we get to the first point of, of today's message, and that's the million-dollar question. And by the way, when Matthew asked me this morning, what is the name of your message and what are the points of your message? And I told him what the name of the message is and the points. His response was, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I was like, dude, you don't have a gift of encouragement. Like, <laughs> what do you mean it doesn't make any sense? It doesn't make a lot of sense in my check mind. Uh, so I told him, you just need to listen to the whole sermon. It's going to make a lot of sense. So, uh, so hopefully, hopefully it's going to make some sense for you. But uh, the, the first thing I, I want you to notice uh, in, in the passage that's in front of your eyes is the million-dollar question. Because in verse 23, we see the chief priests and the elders of the people came to Jesus and said, and here's the million-dollar question, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority, right? And, and you have to read it with a right kind of like understanding of what's going on, right? Like they are not coming and they are not like, hey, Jesus, can we kindly and humbly ask you, who gave you authority? Like, like, we are here, we are trying to learn, we are searching for the truth. Can you please help us understand what's going on here? Because it would really help us, our, our conscience, right? They are, they are not coming with that kind of attitude. It's like, who gave you the authority? They're like, who do you think you are to be doing, doing all these things? Like, they are in his face, they are mad at him, they are upset at him, and they are trying to confront him. And basically, the bottom line is, who do you think you are? that you are doing all these things. Who do you think you are? Who gave you the authority? Like, look at us. You, you didn't check with us. You don't have any permission from us. And yet, you are in the center of our religious system. They are not interested in the truth, and they are only interested in saving their faces. So they publicly attack Jesus by questioning his authority. By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Basically, they are saying, we are the leaders. We are the religious experts. We decide what happens in the temple. 
we call the shots about who can teach here and what he will teach here. And as far as we remember, you never asked us for permission for any of this. Who gave you the authority to say and do these things? And by the way, I think it's the same today, right? Like uh, maybe if you look at your life and, and you think about a time before God saved you, uh, or if you are sharing the gospel with somebody, or if, if you are reading the Bible with somebody, uh, and when, when people are confronted by Jesus and with Jesus and with his word, it always comes down to the same question of authority, right? Like you, you start telling people what the Bible expects from them, what Jesus expects from them, what, what Jesus wants from them. And the bottom question, the bottom line question, even if they don't phrase it, even if they don't verbalize it, it's always, who does Jesus think he is to be telling me how should I live? Who, who does he think he is to be telling me how do I conduct my life. So nothing really changed over the last 2,000 years. By what authority are you doing these things? And I think what they are referring to when they are saying these things, I think they are definitely referring to cleansing the temple, right? Like, like the, the temple was just cleansed, and they are asking, who gave you the authority to do that? Uh, I think they are definitely referring to uh, calling the leaders out on you know, turning the house of prayer into a den of robbers, like who gave you the authority to say that, that we turn the house of prayer into a den of robbers? Uh, who gave you the authority to, to be teaching here right now at this very moment? But you know what? I, I think they might also be referring to the last three years of his ministry. Because this is not the first time they see Jesus. This is not the first time they come together with Jesus. This is not the first time they are ticked off by Jesus and, and the first time they hate Jesus. Uh, so I think they are also referring to the last three years of his ministry. And, and, and the question is, why did it bother the Jewish, Jewish religion leaders so much, right? Like, why they are coming to him and why they are asking him about the authority? Who gave you the authority? How, how come you are playing on our turf? Uh, why did it bother them so much that Jesus is acting independently from their authority? What would be your answer? Why do you think they are, they are bothered by that? I think they are bothered by that because they did not care about God or His people. I think they are bothered by that because they care only about themselves. Uh, I think they are bothered by it because they wanted to be the highest authority, right? And that's the, that's the same thing with anybody who is unregenerate, who is not a Christian. They just want to be the highest authority in their own life. They want to call the shots. They want to make all the decisions. They don't want any higher authority over their life. They, they want to live the way how they want. And if you have Jesus come in and he's saying, I'm a higher authority, then uh, you're not going to be happy, right? So if you, if you are the highest authority, then you can judge all people and not be judged by anyone, right? Like, I am the judge. I'm the Pharisee. I'm the one who rules the temple. Uh, I, I can have everyone to serve me, but I don't have to be serving anybody. That's the benefit of being the highest authority. And when Jesus came and acted independently, and when Jesus came and ruined their scam, he never asked for their permission, Right? He, he totally ignored their authority. He, he, he never quoted them. He did not play according to their human-made rules. He was exposing them and was ruining their man, 
made O30, and that was a problem because all of a sudden, the people around saw, huh, maybe these guys uh, shouldn't be doing what they are doing. Maybe these guys should not be leading us. Maybe, maybe these guys have no authority above us because they are not preaching the word. They are, they are just preaching their, their own empty traditions. And these guys could care less about the truth. So when they were threatened by Jesus, they attacked him, asking him, by what authority are you doing these things? And here is Jesus' response, and that's the, that's the second thing I want you to see uh, in today's passage, and that's Jesus' challenge for the proud. This is what happens if you come to Jesus and you are proud. And uh, Jesus always has this answer to proud people. Verse 24, Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things, right? So if you come to Jesus and if you are proud and if you come into Jesus and you are the judge who is judging, the, who is judging Jesus, Jesus is not going to give you a straightforward answer because in that moment you do not need grace. You need to be broken. Your pride needs to be broken. You need to realize that, that you are sinning because if you are not going to realize that you are sinning, uh, grace and mercy are not going to have any effect on you. So Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. So in other words, Jesus is saying, I will tell you by what authority I do these things, but only if you first answer my question. And in other words, Jesus still doesn't care about the authority, right? Like they are demanding an answer and he's like, I don't really care. <laughs> I'm not under your authority. I will answer on my terms. And my terms are, here is a question for you. And his question and his challenge goes straight to their heart. Verse 25, the baptism of John was from what source? From heaven or from man? And Jesus is basically asking them, who gave John the Baptist his authority? Who sent John the Baptist? Did John the Baptist come in his own authority? Was he self-appointed? Uh, was he sent by mere man? Or was he sent by heaven? Was he sent by God himself? Do you remember John Baptist? Do you remember what happened with him? Do, do you remember what happened when, when he came to Jerusalem? Uh, I mean, when he came to uh, uh, close to Jerusalem? Uh, the Pharisees and the religious leaders remembered, even though it was three years ago. Uh, and the reason why they remembered is because they already were confronted by John the Baptist and, and they already questioned his authority. So when John started calling people three years ago to repentance and baptizing them, the Pharisees sent messengers and through their messengers, they asked John the Baptist, who are you? In John 1 and 19, right? And, and when they sent the messengers and the messengers asked John the Baptist, who are you? It's a question of what? It's, it's not a question of like, can we see your ID? Like, oh, your name is John and Baptist. Oh, it's not a last name. It's just what you do. Oh, okay, you don't have a last name. And, and you live in this street. Oh, you don't live in this street. You live in a cave. Oh, you're a really weird person, right? Like when they are asking, who are you? They are not asking about these things. They are asking, in what authority are you saying and doing these things? And uh, if you would read in John, uh, you would see that John told them that he is not Messiah, 
He told them that he is not Elijah, and he told them that he is not the prophet, right? So uh, they're asking him, like, who are you? In uh, what kind of authority are you teaching these things and doing these things? And he's like, well, I'm not Messiah, I'm not Elijah, and I'm not the prophet. And, you know, they think they win because in John 1.25 they say, why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Right? Like, okay, so uh, basically, John, you have no authority to be doing these things. You, you are not any of these men, and you were not sent by us, so uh, why don't you pack up your stuff and go home and let us call the shots, because you have no authority here. But you know what their problem was? They already knew the answer before they asked him. They were so proud that even when they were coming to John the Baptist, they were not looking for truth. They, they, they already decided in their mind what the truth is. So when John the Baptist told them the answer, they, they totally uh, overlooked it. Because even though John told them, I'm not Christ, I'm not Elijah, and I'm not the prophet, he told them who sent him. Just two verses earlier in John 1, 23, he says, I am, you remember, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah, uh, the prophet, said. So basically, they're asking him, who you are? Who, who are you? Uh, in, in whose authority are you here? Uh, who do you think you are that, that you are doing these things, calling people to repentance and, and baptizing them? And Jesus answers by quoting Isaiah 40, uh, verse 3, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. And what, 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 what John the Baptist is saying is that he's referring to prophecy about, about, about Messiah, right? Like, uh, and and he's, he's telling them, like, I'm the guy that is preparing the way for Messiah. I'm the guy that God prophesied about through Isaiah in chapter 40 that's going to come before Messiah. Like, I'm sent by God, and, and the guy who's going to come after me is also sent by God, and, and we both come in God's authority. So John the Baptist really gave them a clear answer about in whose authority he has come. And they knew it. And the, the people knew it. And even unsaved king Herod knew it. Because in Matthew 14, 5, we read that although Herod wanted to put him, meaning John the Baptist, to death, he feared the crowd. You remember? Uh, Herod the king, he wanted to kill John the Baptist. Why? Because John the Baptist was telling Herod, hey, <laughs> uh, you basically took your brother's wife and you made them divorce and now she's like, you know, doing stuff with you and, and you are living in a sin and it's exposed sin and, and you should not be doing that. And Herod didn't like it and his wife or whatever she was to him didn't like it. And Herod wanted to kill him, but Herod was afraid that if he kills him, the people are going to turn against him. Why? Well, we see the answer in Matthew 14, 5, because they, meaning the people, regarded John as a prophet. So everyone in Israel knew that John is sent by God, that he's the prophet of God. The people knew it. King Herod knew it. Everybody knew it. And even the Pharisees knew it. They just did not like it. You know, and I think it's the same thing uh, with, that's, that's the same thing with us, you know, before God saved us, uh, first of all. But it's the same thing with, with people out there. Uh, the, the, the problem is not an intellectual problem, right? Like the, the, the question of Jesus, the question of authority, the question of salvation, the question of 
how this universe came to being. It's, it's not an intellectual problem. The people out there, uh, that their problem is not that they don't have any information, that they don't have enough information, that, uh, that God would not give them uh, testimony, a written testimony, or, or a whole universe as a, as a testimony. The problem is a spiritual problem. They, they know the truth, but they, they surpass the truth. They, they, instead of worshiping the creator, they, they worship in the, 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 the creation. And, uh, and that's the same thing with these guys. They know it, they just don't like it. And they are proud. And John didn't only show them in whose authority he's coming, he also showed them who Jesus is. And in whose authority Jesus is coming, when he declared the next day in John 1, 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So uh, three years prior to Jesus cleansing the temple and, and three years prior to Jesus being crucified, John the Baptist gave a testimony to Pharisees and to all the people that even Jesus is not coming in his own authority, but he's coming in God's authority. Because right here, John the Baptist quoted from Isaiah 53, which was another prophecy about God's Messiah. And if it's God's Messiah, then he's sent by God, and he's coming in the authority of God. So Pharisees knew these things. They just couldn't swallow them. They did not care about the truth three years ago, and they did not care about the truth on that day. And it's the same with people today. The bottom line is not that they have an intellectual problem, but a spiritual one. And notice their reasoning to Jesus' question in Matthew 21, verses 25 through 26, right? Like Jesus asked them this question, and they get together, right? It's like, a, I don't know if you watch the football game on Thanksgiving, right? Like sometimes if you have a problem, you call all the players, and you're like, hey, yeah, we need to huddle or hustle or uh, huddle. You know, let's huddle. And everybody gets together, and they're like, hey, uh, so what do you think we should do? It's like, I have no idea because we are being whooped. Like any idea is a good idea, Okay. Nobody has any idea, so they're just going to lose today again. Uh, and that's what they did. Like, they, they huddled together, together, and they began reasoning among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, right? Like, so Jesus is asking us, who gave John the Baptist the authority? So we have two options. If we say from heaven, Jesus will tell us, then why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we fear the people, for they all regard, regard John as a prophet, right? So uh, once again, they are not looking for the truth. They are just trying to save their face. They are, they are trying to figure out a way how they can keep their empty religion, how they can keep ruling over the people, and how they can get rid of Jesus, and now a way how they can get, get rid of his smart question uh, and answering it without even answering it. And, uh, you know, they are saying if we answer the truth, which is, John the Baptist was from heaven, then we have a problem because we did not repent and, and we did not, uh, you know, receive his baptism. But if he answered from man, then we have another problem because all the people around us know that he was God's prophet. And all the people around us know that we should know. And if we say that he wasn't from God then they will know that we do not know. And if they'll figure out that we do not know, they will not listen to us anymore because we should know. <laughs> so it's a really complicated situation, right? It's like, it's like if uh, Mr. Brown will show up in a class and, and somebody asks a question and he's like, man, like, I don't have an answer. And you know, he's going to be like, well, you know, how can I answer without answering? 
Like, how can I make it look like I know without not knowing no? And the kids are going to figure out, they're going to be like, he's talking, but he really doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> you know, it's like, dude, it would be just better if you would say, like, I do not know, and I had to do the research. Like, we would respect you. But if you're just trying to, like, you know, like, uh, I don't know what you say in the Czech, uh, in, in States, but in Czech we say put a honey around our mouth. Like, you know, if you, if you try to make us drunk with a bread, it's like it's not going to work. Uh, so they are trying to figure out how to answer without answering because they know that both of the answers are going to turn bad for them. Either Jesus is going to tell them, well, you should have repented and been baptized by him, or the people are going to turn against them because everybody knows that he was sent by God and our leaders are the only ones who doesn't know, even though we pay them to know. So uh, what good they are, you know? No more paycheck for you. Like, we're going to find a new one. So in verse 27... They answered what? We do not know. And they lie to the one who knows all things. And that's never a good idea, right? Like, uh, it's never a good idea to lie to Jesus because, because he knows what's in the man's heart. It's never a good idea to be proud in front of the one who is all-knowing. And they are the same like three years ago. Because three years ago, John gave them chance to repent, didn't he? He called them to repentance. He told them that Messiah is coming. He told them that they need to prepare the way of the Lord, that they need to get their hearts ready. And they were proud three years ago, and they did not repent. And now Jesus gives them another chance, and they still resist. Instead of answering truthfully, they are trying to find a way how to save their face. And they are proudly holding to what they cannot keep, which is earthly glory, rather than humbly letting go and gaining what they would not be able to lose, which is glories of heaven. And that's always a bad idea. It's a always a bad idea if you are confronted with Jesus and, and, and you are trying to hold on to the things that are going to stay here in the moment you die and losing the things that nobody would be able to take away from you if you just trust in Jesus. So Jesus has just one answer for them. Matthew 21, 27. Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And basically Jesus is telling them, you blew your last chance. You missed the time of grace. And you know what? God is merciful, right? Like God gives mercy to sinners. And God is merciful, more merciful uh, than, than any of us. And then all of us combined together. But here is, the, here is the important thing that this text shows us. God's mercy is not forever. There is a day, there is a time when, when God doesn't offer His mercy anymore. And in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, when it came to the Pharisees, it was this very moment. This was the last chance that Christ called them to repentance. And from now on, if you would read the Gospel of Matthew, you would only see a judgment and a judgment and a judgment and a condemnation after condemnation and no more room for mercy and grace. And you know what? God is patient with sinners. And, and you and I are a great example of that, right? And, and if you go to the Old Testament and you see uh, that, that God waited 120 years uh, before he sent a global flood, uh, if, if you see how patient God was with Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, if you see how, how, how many months and how many years God was patient with Jericho and, and other countries that were, that were worshiping false idols and, and they were bringing their babies and, and sacrificing them as a life uh, 
uh, sacrifices to the false idols and, and God was patiently waiting and, and patiently calling them to repentance and, and patiently showing them through the nation of Israel that he is a true God and that he is a God who forgives. Our God is a patient God. But even his patience has limits. And that's the warning of this passage even for maybe some of you today. Like, like some of you um, might be same like people in a check. When they are confronted with Christ and when they are confronted with eternity, when they are confronted with their sin, their response is, when I'm on my deathbed, <laughs> later, I'll think about these things. You know, right now, I'm in my 20s, uh, and I need to enjoy life, I need to try this, I need to try that, and I just need to party and do, do my own thing, and I'll, I'll think about a religious thing, I'll think about a Bible, and I'll think about Jesus later on. It, it's a great plan. I mean, yeah, who wouldn't want to enjoy life as much as they can and think about Jesus on a deathbed? It, it, it sounds like a great plan. It has only one problem. You have no idea when the deathbed day is going to come, right? <laughs> like, like I have friends who died on a motorbike accident when they were 18. And they were thinking, I'm going to be here until I'm 80. And when I'm 80, <laughs> I'm going to think about Jesus. There are people, we, we had a neighbor she, she was 30 years old, beautiful young lady, very kind, very, very sweet. One day she went to bed, and the next, next morning uh, she didn't woke up. She, 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 she didn't do drugs, she didn't do alcohol. She, something just happened in her body, and she didn't wake up. And, and that's the thing. It's like, uh, you know, we, we, we think that God's grace and God's mercy and God's patience is going to be here tomorrow, but uh, we are not guaranteed that. So uh, don't make the same mistake like the Pharisees did. You know, don't miss the time of grace. Don't miss the time of God's patience if he is calling you to repentance even this day. So that was the, that was the challenge for the proud. We had a million-dollar question. Uh, we had a proud people coming to Jesus, and, and Jesus gave them a challenge, and they, they blew it. Uh, instead of repenting, they... They kept being proud, and, and Jesus didn't give them answer. But uh, we are still left this morning with a million-dollar question, and I would like to give you a million-dollar answer. And uh, you would find uh, the answer for the humble uh, in the Gospels if you would read them. And, uh, you know, if by God's grace, if he opens your eyes, you would see the answer uh, to Jesus' own question. By what authority am I doing these things? By what authority, John the Baptist, was doing these things. And I want to show you from the Gospels very briefly in what kind of authority Jesus was doing all the things he was doing. And I think you will be encouraged by that. So this is, this is what you will find in the Gospels. And this is what you would find if you would be a Pharisee looking for the truth. In Matthew 7, 28 through 29, we see Jesus teaching with authority. Uh, we see Jesus teaching with authority. Uh, we read, when Jesus had finished these, his, these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. And, uh, you know, as, as Jesus was walking through the Palestine and as Jesus was traveling from city to city and from village to village, and as he was teaching them about a gospel and as he was teaching them about a kingdom of God, one thing was very clear to everybody who heard him. And the thing that was clear was that Jesus and his teaching and the authority in which he is teaching is different 
Why? Because when the rabbis taught them, the rabbis always quoted another rabbi, right? Because the, the rabbi's authority was another man. This man who I studied under, right? Like when I was in Oxford, the professors in Oxford, right? Doctor so-and-so said, so now I repeat it. And, and that's how the rabbis would be establishing their authority. And everybody was like, oh, my goodness, you studied in that school. Whoa, you studied underneath this professor. Whoa, like you must be really important and what you are saying must be really truth. And now there is Jesus and Jesus never quotes anybody. And Jesus never points to any human authority. He's, he's just speaking like the one with authority. You know, he's, 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 not, he's not the one who's quoting everybody. He's the one that everybody should be quoting and, and people are recognizing that. They're understanding that he stands here and the things that he says, like, like he's saying them for, for himself. And he has his own authority. And his authority is different and it's majestic and it's, it's very, very, very great. And it is no wonder that Jesus spoke like that, right? For he is the one who spoke universe into being. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the question is, how did God did it? And Psalm 36, 6, I mean, Psalm 33, 6 tells us the same thing like Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. He did it with his word. We read in Psalm 33, 6, the same thing that we read in Genesis 1. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Of course, Jesus is speaking with authority because he is the one who spoke this universe to being. That's how authoritative his word is. And who was this God by whose word this, this universe was created? John 1, 3 tells us it was Jesus because all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So Jesus is eternal God. Jesus is uncreated creator of all things. He is Almighty God who spoke into existence everything out of nothing. So why would he quote anybody, right? Like, like what, what other authority is there above him? It's like, who, who can teach him anything, right? There's no higher authority above him. So when he's teaching, he is teaching them with God's authority because he is God and his word is authoritative and is powerful. As God he had also authority over demons. Mark 1, 27. After Jesus casted out a demon, uh, people were amazed so that they debated among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Right? So Jesus doesn't only speak with authority. He also does things with, with authority. And, and people are like, goodness gracious, like, where is this authority? Where is this power? Where is this, where is this thing coming from? Like, we've never seen anything like that. And then recognizing and seeing that, uh, that uh, he has a divine authority. And when you read through Gospels, there is not one instance when the demons would not obey Jesus. Did you, did you see that? And, the, uh, you know, there, there is never uh, a, like a dispute between Jesus and demons. Like, you know, there, there's never a time when Jesus came to somebody who was demon-possessed and, and he would command the demon to come out and the demon would be like, well, you know what, not today. It's not a good day. Like... Uh, you know, like, uh, who, who do you think you are, right? Like, like, you hear the Pharisees saying, who do you think you are? But you never hear the demons. The demons are always like, 
please don't send us to the bottomless pit. Like, we know who you are. You are the one. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. Like, please send us to the pigs. Please do this. There's, there's never like, who do you think you are? Like, can we, can we show your diploma? Like, have you studied in Oxford? Because if you did not, like, like we are not going to listen to you because we only listen to guys from Oxford. So, so Jesus' authority, his divine authority, is, 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 is very visible in the Gospels in his interaction with the demons because as soon as he speaks, they do as he said, as he told them to do. And it shows us that he is the creator and they are the disobedient creatures. But his authority doesn't end there. Matthew 9, 20, uh, I mean, Matthew 9, verse uh, 2 through 8, it shows us that Jesus, as God, he also had authority to heal and to forgive sins. And in Matthew 9, 2 through 8, uh, you might remember, that's the, that's the moment when there's this paralytic, paralytic guy who cannot walk, right? And he's laying on the bed, and, and they bring him to Jesus. And, and uh, why, why do they bring him to Jesus? You remember? He cannot walk, so uh, they want him to walk, right? They're like, hey, Thanksgiving coming? We need to play soccer? <laughs> we need to play football? Can you make him walk? Because he's a great quarterback or whatever. And, and they bring him to Jesus, and what is, what is the first thing Jesus tells them? Your sins are forgiven, right? It's like, oh, <laughs> Jesus, like, come on, like, like, we need him to walk. It's so nice that his sins are forgiven, uh, but we really were looking forward to go on a hike with him. And, uh, you know, they, they, they question his authority, like, who do you think you are that you are forgiven the sins of this man? And what is Jesus' answer? Jesus' answer is that uh, he commands him to get up, pack his bed, and walk and go home. And uh, what does that show to people? It shows to people that he has the authority to forgive sins. And, and the way how it's visible is that he has the authority to heal him, right? Because like, I, I can tell you your sins are forgiven. I can tell you whatever I want, but how are you going to measure that? How, how are you going to know that I have the authority to forgive your sins? You don't. But if I heal a paralytic in your midst, you'll know that what I said previously is truth based on, you know, this, this visible thing. So they see and they understand that Jesus has divine authority to forgive sins because he heals this man. And their reaction in verse 8 is, but when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God who had given such authority to man. As God-man, he also had authority to give and receive his life. In John 10, 17 through 18, and this is, this is really, really sweet. Jesus says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up, take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I laid down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. And you know what? When you think about it and when you look at around yourself, you will see that every person has the ability to take over their life. Isn't that true? Like every single one of us have the ability to come home and to take over their, our lives. But only Jesus has the authority to take it up again. And that's what he did, right? Like, like he laid his life. He, he allowed the Roman soldiers to crucify him um, on the cross. And, and it was him who said, to the God of Father, like, to your hands, I, I lay down my spirit. Like, 
I'm, I'm letting go, I'm, I'm ending my earthly life. I have the authority to lay down. But it was also Jesus who resurrected Jesus three days later. And that's, that's what he's saying here. I have the authority to receive it back. And, 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 and the theologically proper answer to who raised Jesus from that is, it was the Father, and it was the Son, and it was the Holy Spirit. It was the whole Trinity. But the truth is that Jesus had the authority to receive his life back. And that's a divine authority. Only God can do something like that because only God is the Lord of life, the author of life, and the one who rules life and death, and the one who takes away life, and the one who gives life. And of course, the last example I need to mention is that, that one that comes in Matthew 28, 18, where we see that Jesus has all authority and that all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. That he is a God and his authority is total, is sovereign and is unlimited. That he has the, he's the, he's the Lord over everything and over everyone. And that there is not one Adam and one molecule in this, in this universe that would not be underneath his rule. He has total dominion over every situation and over every circumstance in heaven and on earth. And nothing that is not under, there is nothing that is not underneath his authority everywhere and every time. And this was huge encouragement to the disciples, right? Because Jesus says this on the end of his earthly life. Like after he was resurrected, after he spent a couple of weeks with his disciples, right before he's taken back to the heaven, he tells his disciples, go to the whole world, preach the gospel, baptize the people and teach them. And just that you know, I have all authority in heaven and in, on the earth. And why, why is he telling them this right now? Because he knows that they are going to be discouraged. Because he knows that it's going to be hard for them. Because he knows that they are going to be persecuted. Because he knows that they are going to face death. And he wants them to know that the authority that he has is a divine authority. Because he's God. And that every situation on heaven and every situation in, in, uh, in, in heaven and on earth is underneath his dominion. They do not have to worry. They are not going to die one minute sooner than, than what his plan is. Uh, nothing is going to happen to them without his, without his uh, permission, and they don't need to worry. He is a sovereign God. And he is a sovereign God, and that why, that's why he can come to, the, to his father's temple and cast out those who were buying and selling and overturn the tables of money changers. He is a sovereign God, and that's why he can come back next day and teach whatever he wants without asking any earthly authority. And this is what it means to you. This is what it means for you. If you are here this morning, and if you are not a Christian, if you are not a believer, if you, if you do not belong to Christ, if you, if you did not repent from your sins, if you, if you do not trust only in Christ, which is salvation, Jesus in His own divine authority commands you this morning to repent and believe. He is not asking for your permission to enter your heart. He is not giving you an offer. He's not like, hey, here's a Black Friday sale deal. Uh, try me, and if you don't like me for three months, you can return me, and I'm going to give you like a full refund. Jesus is God. You are his creation, and he is not asking. He is not inviting. He is not giving you an option. He is commanding you. As the Lord of lords and kings of kings and your creator, repent and believe. 
Acts 17, 30, God is now declaring to man that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. And the, the, the warning that God gives in this passage is there is a day of judgment that is coming. There is going to be a time when my patience and when my grace are going to be turned away from you. There is going to be a time when I'm going to judge the living and the death. And if you want a proof of that, if you want to prove that the day is coming, look at Christ. He did not remain in a grave. He was ri risen again on a third day, on a Sunday morning, and that is my testimony. That's a God's testimony about a future coming judgment, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the best proven thing in the history of this world. Amen. And you can, you can bet your life on that, that Jesus was raised on a third day. And if he was raised on a third day, he is God and he is King and he is Lord. And he has the divine authority to tell you what you need to do with your life. And if you are still in your sins, you need to repent. And the good thing is that God is a good God and he loves uh, to forgive sins, and he loves to welcome new sheep to his, to, his, to his fault. And if you are a Christian, by God's grace this morning, your Savior is also your Lord and God. And First Peter 1, 18 through 19, and we are almost done, says, You are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood of a lamp, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. And this Savior who bore you with his own blood, not with silver or gold, is also your Lord. He is also the authority. We, we, we were not redeemed from our sins to live however we want, right? Like we, were, we, are, we are not free in the sense of like, oh, Jesus saved me and now I can go and do whatever I want. The, the, the way how salvation works is that Jesus bought you with his own blood from the market and from the slavery of sin, but he didn't leave you masterless. He didn't leave you lordless. No, he gave you a new lord, and that's him. And the good news is that when you were underneath this lord, you were headed to hell, you were headed to death, you were headed to destruction. There was no good that was waiting for you, even though you thought that there is. But underneath this new management and underneath this new lord and new king, there is an abundant life and there is an eternal life. And he knows how life works the best for you. And that's what he wants for, for you. And you belong to him. He created you. And he also redeemed you from the bondage of sin. He reconciled you with God the Father. And you are his and he is yours. And the good thing is that you have nothing to be afraid of. Because he has all authority in heaven and on earth. There is nothing that will happen in your life that would be outside of his divine decree. Nothing that he would not be ultimately in control of. That is how huge his authority and his sovereignty is. And he has the authority to forgive your sins. And if he says you are forgiven, then you are forgiven. You know, and sometimes we struggle as Christians with like these thoughts like, you know, am I saved and am I not saved? And, and it's good to examine our salvation. But here is the sweet thing. Jesus has authority to forgive your sins. And if you trust in Christ, not in the sincerity of your prayer, not in the length of your prayer, not in your life and not in your good deeds. But if you trust only in Christ, then you are saved. And he has the authority 
to keep you and save you and, and bring your salvation all the way till the end. He knows his sheep and no one will snap them from his hands. And he has the authority to give his life and take it up again. And you can rest assured that he should, that, that should it be his will, that you will have to die for his namesake, he will also raise you up to eternal glory because he has that power. He has that power of resurrection. And the same way that he resurrected his own body, the same way God resurrected him, is the same way that he will resurrect you. So, glory to him. Glory to God. Solid gloria uh, for what God has done in our lives through Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others. And for more information about Twin Villages Church, visit twinvillageschurch.org. Soli Deo Gloria. Thank you.